And as with all of our kids, whether they have an autism diagnosis or not, these kids beat to a different drum and it's our job to learn from them and to listen to them and to help create an environment where they can thrive. Is your child's challenging behavior leaving you feeling exhausted, defeated, and hopeless? You are not alone. And I want you to know you are not a failure and your child is not broken. Welcome to Calm the Chaos Parenting, the podcast for parents raising strong-willed, highly sensitive, or neurodivergent children. I'm Dana Abraham, parenting expert, and I have helped hundreds of thousands of families just like yours. Each week, I'll share simple science-backed solutions to help you feel more grounded, in tune, and deeply connected to your child, no matter what challenge you face. Start your journey from surviving to thriving as a family at CalmTheChaosPodcast.com. All right, welcome back to the Calm the Chaos Podcast today. We are going to be diving into a really hot topic today. Topic. (laughs) You've just been waiting to do that. Now, this is a topic that I have avoided talking about for a very, very long time. I've been online for 10 years And this is a topic that I don't talk about unless I'm behind closed doors in the safety of our community. And I know that I'm surrounded by people who know my heart and my intention. And that is because it is a topic that can create a lot of heated discussions, emotions, and feelings around. And that is autism. Now, we tried to start this episode a minute ago, six minutes ago to be exact. And without setting the stage fully and explaining why I have avoided this topic for a long time, Jason just went right in and we talked about how I was trying to approach this topic as if there's a sleeping bear in the corner and I'm tiptoeing in and I'm making sure I know where the exits are and I'm making sure I know my intention and that if the bear wakes, it knows that I'm safe and friendly and I've got its best interest at heart. Jason came in with a tranquilizer gun, stomping and yelling at the bear and saying, wake up, bear! Boom! (laughs) And we had two very different intros. This is to say, anything Jason says on this episode is not my thoughts. They are of his own. (laughs) Maybe that's a disclaimer. It should be on every episode. <laughs> it should definitely be on every episode. You're not of one mind. Um, we're talking about something that can be really hard to talk about, especially in the public eye, because there are so many different thoughts and feelings and emotions and histories and trauma surrounding autism and an autism diagnosis and treatments and the misdiagnosis of of autistic individuals. And I want anyone who's listening to this to know that this is just our experience of what we have experienced and how we work with parents who have children that are autistic. Now, just me saying that children that are autistic can cause some problems because some people are adamant that it is person first, right? And it is child with autism. And some people are adamant that it is it is autistic person. You can't separate the autism from the person. And one thing that I've learned is it's important to go to the person and ask them what they prefer. And our child prefers to be described as an autistic person, right? He is autistic. Like it is part of who he is. You can't separate that from who he is. And there are many other autistic people who choose to be a person with autism. And I think we just have to respect what people want and how they want to be described. My point is everyone's experience is valid. And when you have a cross section of like autism culture and cancel culture, and we like roll those into a big ball, it gets a little dicey. And I'm more into the like, we're all the same. We're all humans. We're all on planet Earth together. Let's be cool. And I get that. And I also get that there are very hurtful ways of being and and of treating and of speaking about neurodiversity and autism in particular. Yeah. And there are there are groups and individuals that their aim is to rid the world of autism. 
And we are of the belief that autism is not something to get rid of. Autism is not a deficit. And then, you know, I, I can just hear the conversations that I've had over the years. And then, you know, the feedback that you get is, well, your kid must not be severe enough, right? And so then you have these functioning labels and or not using functioning labels. And then you have, um, well, if your kid can speak or if your kid is verbal and you have all this mix and it's all in so much emotion, there's a lot of excellent books around autism that I love. I love Neurotribes. I love Uniquely Human. I love the latest one that I've been reading, which is A Hill to Die On. I love it. And it's approached from this angle of not two sides, but this is my perspective as an autistic adult raising autistic children. This is my perspective as a parent raising autistic children, helping parents raising autistic children. And these like battles that ensue. Yeah. So I think this is great. Let's let's do this. There are a lot of different rules and ground rules and everyone in their own corner and in their little plot of the, the internet has the rules that they play by. That's not really our interest or what we're here to talk about. I think what we're here to talk about is our story, our experience, right? And then I, I think we're on some ways, we're speaking a little bit for for our oldest, but not like not we're for speaking him, but for him. He's decided to share with the world. Yes, he and is is totally open to sharing his experiences through us and through what we do. You know, and one of the things that I just want to say is I think that with all of these battles, we do a disservice to our children and to the parents who are trying to navigate this. Because if we can't talk about things without fear, then it makes it really hard to find resources, to find supports, to find a group that understands you. It's really hard to get the resources you need for your kids. I can't even imagine where we'd be today if when we started, I didn't feel like I could talk about sensory processing. Like if it was that heated of a topic and that I didn't want to talk about sensory processing because out of fear, we wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't have discovered what we've discovered today and be able to help as many people. And so I think that for the purpose of helping our kids, for the purpose of helping each other, I want us to go forward from this episode on knowing that our intention is to help you be the parent that you want to be for the kid you have in front of you. We're not here to fix kids. We're not here to change kids. We're not here to cure kids. That's not what we believe. But what we really want is we want to be able to have a dialogue. We want to be able to answer questions. And we want you to feel safe, to have a place where you can ask questions and you can talk about things, even if you're not sure if you're quote unquote saying it right, if that makes sense. So what we wanted to do is one of the, when I asked our community, okay, we're going to be doing some episodes and we've been putting this episode off for a little while. And I think that internally I had a lot of fear around putting this we're, episode out there. We're 14 episodes in, we've been doing this for two months and you're like, well, we've been putting this off. No, we were going to do like a batch of episodes last week and we just like, we definitely had time to do it Saturday or Sunday and we kept finding reasons to not do it. I kept finding reasons to not do it. Now, you didn't care, but there was an unspoken reason I wasn't wanting to do this episode. But now that we've kind of ripped the bandaid off. Well, this is this is actually super important, right? Because in life, right, like we have this business together, right? I'm super involved. I'm the CEO. I am a coach in the business, right? I coach from our bottom level all the way to our top. And it is not my mission in life to call in the chaos, right? And like you cue the heck out of everything, right? It is your mission. Well, it's my mission to create a more compassionate world and a more accepting world. Right. Which is very close to yours. I can totally get behind that, right? But the way in which we would approach it is very different, right? You are approaching in a very practical manner and let's reach the people and do the thing. And I'm more like, hey, let's like, you know, meditate in a room and come together that way. You also do things your way. Like you have a very set way of speaking, a very set way of doing. And if we're talking about the journey that we're talking about today, I don't know how much you want to develop, delve, develop, divulge. Divulge is the word you're looking for, but it was more fun to watch you (laughs) list all the D words you could think of. Yeah. So 
I don't know how much you want to share about your own journey and what, you know, where where you are with this, but you know, you do have very set ways of doing things. And one of my superpowers is being a bridge and being able to meet people where they are, being able to hear and see where people are and what they're struggling with and say, okay, I'll meet you where you are. And then I'll bring you over to this new understanding and new awareness. Whereas you're like, look, we're over here. And when you're ready, you can come join us. Like you're very different in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about, we were at a conference together, right? And there was a group of people who were like, come and join us. And you're like, let's go do that. And I was like, let's not. And say we did, right? (laughs) And these people, like another set of people came over and then I was like, okay, well, we have to combine all the tables together. And then they just started combining all the tables together. And I literally left the room because I had no interest in being in part of the group. Yeah. They're amazing humans, was not in the mood to be part of the group energy in any shape or form. So then everyone got really sad. Oh, Jason, what are you doing? Right. I could care less. I was happy as a peach. I went for a walk. I went for like a two hour journey. I was by a river. It was amazing and peaceful. That's what I was into. You guys were doing your thing over there. So back to divulging. So what what I think Dana is saying (laughs) If there was a desire for me to go down a path of like, you know, should I get diagnosed, you know, to be on the spectrum or not, there's probably a lot of evidence in the case that I have a lot of like autistic symptoms or traits or whatever the word is. Tendency. Tendency. Yeah. Right. I I, I do. I mean, you are you are definitely neurodivergent and you definitely think differently and are wired differently than your average bear. And, but again, we don't think that autism is a deficit. And so yeah, are there some struggles that come along with having an autistic brain? And are there some comorbid conditions that make it difficult for many children who are autistic to navigate the world? Yes. And as a child, well, sure. struggled with some of that as well. Yeah. And the, the cool part is I had super like accepting parents mm-hmm. who embraced who I was, didn't try to change who I was. They tried to understand me to the best of their ability. Mm-hmm. And all of the social de- deficits that I had, I had the desire, and that's the important part, I had the desire to learn a different strategy when it came to making friends, learn a different strategy when it came to like girlfriends and dating and like making it so that everyone's happy, not just me. So I had a tremendous amount of like desire to learn and I've had, yes, exactly. And uh, no one was trying to change me or push their agenda on me of what they wanted for me. That would have never worked. No, which was amazing. Uh, So I had some amazing people in my life like Dana and some, some past girlfriends. I think it was very girlfriend motivated. And I think that's pretty typical in society that you grow through relationships that way, but they were very patient with me and they would see that I was struggling to understand or accept other points of view. Mm-hmm. And I just had some amazing teachers, uh, you know, by teach, I mean like the, the girl, girlfriends yeah. who were able to teach me better ways. Should we people. talk about how many teachers you've had? No, <laughs> that'll be podcast 376, uh, where we're really running low on topics ideas okay so one of the questions we get a lot from parents is that there's a lot of there's a lot of fear being pushed on parents around autism and it's like you know here's the early signs and if you miss it then your your child is doomed forever and if your child is diagnosed with autism then they're doomed forever and it doesn't matter which way you go there's a lot of media that kind of pushes this fear and misunderstanding of autism and so the question we get a lot and especially when we go to the community and say hey what questions do you have if we do a podcast on autism was i I probably saw this five or ten times was is it autism is it just bad behavior is it just my kid being just a kid is it ADHD or is it something else? How do I know what it is? And we're not here to diagnose anyone, to tell you what it is or what it isn't. What we are here to do is just share our story of what we went through with our son's diagnosis. And Jason has shared some of his personal story. 
and we'll share some of the things that we've learned as we've worked with other parents who have children who are diagnosed with autism and some who weren't diagnosed with autism when they first came to us, but over time did get an autism diagnosis and what we've learned in the process. And this is the first of many episodes I'm kind of pulling off the Band-Aid and opening it up so that I can start talking about this journey. I can start sharing the resources that I've learned and some of the the things that have both been a hindrance and like held me back in my journey of autism and then things that have just opened up a huge world. Well, sure. Us. And it's, it's interesting that you use that analogy of, you know, we're pulling off the Band-Aid. And I think it's why you're trying to like, lack of a word, like tiptoe around and make sure that everyone's happy, right? Because I think that you being a very public figure, uh, you know, in the online world, you have gotten bitten or, or you know, hit back or whatever. And there is a wound. Whereas like, I don't have that, right? That's not my experience. But even if you had it, the way that your brain processes like social interactions you would just cut that person off. Whereas me, like I'm such a feeling person that I I navigate that differently. And there is, sure. and there's a lot of trauma around it too. Yeah. For me personally, in this issue, I don't have a lot of time or space in my life for people who think anger is the answer, right? Like rage and anger and fear. Like that's not the path to a better world. But that's my personal opinion right. on it, right? right? So there isn't a huge wound there. So I am right. able to navigate that without fear of retribution or whatever. Whereas like, I feel like you feel it a lot more. I do. And I also feel like the anger is valid from people. And that's the, and I think oh. that we need people who are so angry that they're going to speak up, that they're going to say their mind and they're not going to tiptoe it around it because there are some people that will only hear it that way, but they also need bridges and I am willing to be that bridge for people Yeah, that other people are not willing. You're willing to just not have the conversation at all. Then there's other people who are like, I'm willing to be super like aggressive, not aggressive, but really forthright with it and really go at it. And then I'm saying, all right, I'm willing to be the bridge. I'm willing to say, here's what I think they're saying. And here's what I think you're saying. And here's here's a path forward that might work for different people. Yeah. And I, I really do agree on the the validity of those feelings of anger and fear and rage and all of that. Like they are very valid experiences staying stuck in those and using that to amplify your message is where I feel yeah. the misstep is. Well, and I think that it, it's very- Where we need bridges in look, place. We need bridges. Yeah. And it's also really common. I mean, if you think about it, right? Like if we talk about some of the challenges or red flags, right, you have a, a child or a person who can be very rigid in their thinking, can be very stuck in in this one track of thinking, having these very intense focuses. And you also can have a lack of words for feelings. It's not that they don't feel. There, A lot of times autistic children are really big feelers but they don't have the words to be able to say those feelings. Even our son, who's has always been highly verbal, he has lacked having a vocabulary to describe his feelings or the introception to recognize that those feelings are changing. And so you see that a lot. You see the, the social interaction being hard between an autistic and non-autistic child. And so if you take that to the adult level and you say, okay, a lot of times it is a parent who loves their kids so much and has done everything to try to help their kid live a life that is full of love and full of acceptance and they're doing the best they can. I truly believe they are. They're going to fight for their child over here. And then you've got adults who uh, as an adult now, you know, they are autistic and so they've got this brain wiring to be like, I'm stuck. This is what I believe. This is what I think. This is how I go. And it's like, no wonder you've got these two opposing ends that won't budge. Dana here. And guess what? My book, Calm the Chaos, has officially launched. So if you enjoy the podcast and find the stuff we're sharing valuable, I'm 100% sure you're going to love the book. You can get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com. 
And if you use this link, you'll also get some special bonuses. So once again, the link is calmthechaosbook.com. Thanks. I hope you're enjoying the show. You know, I think one of the things I really want to talk about here, less about all the different signs of autism, is I want to just talk about our journey and kind of what people always ask, how did you know? When did you know? So our oldest is diagnosed with autism, but he got a very late in life diagnosis. I think he got late for a kid. It was he was 11 years old. And but people always say, when did you know that he was neurodivergent? And I mean, I knew very, very, very early on that something was different with him. But if I look at those first three years of his life when he was in my care or he was in his dad's care before he had to go anywhere else, we didn't have massive problems because, one, he was highly verbal. So he was able to tell us a lot of the things that he wanted and needed. He signed early on. So even if he didn't have the words, he was signing for us as a young, you know, as a toddler and a baby. He he potty trained himself. I thought I was the best parent in the world, but it now we know it was because he hated the sensory feeling of being wet. So like he was out of diapers at six, like 18 months, he was completely out of diapers. And so those first three years weren't extremely difficult. I just kept a really rigid schedule and I made sure that he had the foods that he ate. And I made sure that we kept like sleeping at the same time well, and, and especially being same your time. first child you had yeah. no other reference point i had no other reference and so for me i just was like this is just being in tune with my my kid my mom would always get so upset because i was was sticking to the schedule and i wouldn't allow us to like move off that schedule at all and it was because i knew if i moved off that schedule that's when life was hard and so you could say i knew from the very beginning but I didn't realize that I knew. And, you know, I started to becoming like a pretty daily force, you know, in his life around like five or six. Yeah. You know, and obviously he wasn't a typical like happy-go-lucky kid. You know, there were things that were harder. But I I feel like once first grade hit second grade, that's when it was like, okay, there's there's a bigger like it's very hard to have them in a classroom all day. Yes. This isn't working out. What can we do? Yeah. The gap kept getting bigger. Yes. So when he was in preschool, it was, so when we even take him to the park, I thought it was adorable that he would call, name all the parks. So we had Pinch You Park because that was the place where the girl pinched you. And then we had, you know, Dragon Park because there was a dragon at the park. We had Bear Park because there were bears that spit water. So we named all the parks based on what he saw. Like if I look back now, right, when he played, everything he played, he lined up in lines. He would take all of his cars before he would play with them and he would sort them by color and by shape. And like he would put them out. And and who else? Like when I had my younger kid, well, we've talked about that, but not a lot of people do that, you know. And had I known what to look for, maybe those would have been some of the things that I would have. He he knew his alphabet super early. He was fixated on letters and numbers for a while. And but then when he had when it came to actually like writing, that's when it got really hard. But it was once he went into preschool, I used to say my son has peeled grape syndrome. I used to say that it was something I made up. I used to say he just takes what everyone he focuses he looks at what everyone else is doing and he mimics their behavior and he soaks it all in and then he does it 10 times tenfold well that's social like that's him not understanding social cues him trying to watch the social cues to say okay how do i navigate this situation oh that kid pinched okay that means i'm supposed to pinch to like get my way so when he went into preschool and a little girl bit him he was like, oh, that's how we do things? Okay, I bite you, right? And so then he bit back and then he didn't let go, right? Like he just took it to the well, umpteenth degree. And sure, and you layer in sort of the processing, like processor speed that he has, you know, yes. when it comes to especially emotional things, right? He has a bit of a slower processing where there's a lot to go through. Yeah. So- once the biting behavior started, it was a solid three weeks of that's his go-to move. He would always have a go-to move. It would be like, now I'm hitting or now I'm pushing off the top of the play gym or now I'm running away from you. It like once he found his go-to behavior, like it worked and he's like, OK, this got me out of my thing, you know, and so he did that. And 
So when we first started looking for support, we had the full neuropsych evaluation. And I said, can you look and see if, you know, possibly if he's autistic, you know, are we dealing with ADHD? What are we dealing with here? Can you look at sensory processing? And they were a center that had occupational therapists and social workers and a psychologist. And they were like the go-to place in the Chicagoland area for this. And so they were like, you know, whether it's autism or not, it would be the same. We, we treat it the same way. And so they kind of brushed off this idea of autism. They told me that because he can describe feelings and at this point he could look in someone's eye if he was forced to if that makes sense um he didn't naturally do it and he he could describe feelings and emotions so if he was reading the assessment and it said oh you know Susie lost her dog how does she feel he'd say she feels sad you know he could do that but if he lost his dog he couldn't say I feel sad and so there were these very like common misconceptions that were used as his diagnosis point. And so autism was like ruled out and he got sensory processing disorder and dysregulated mood disorder, a diagnosis early on. And so he was he went to occupational therapy and he went to social work and he had a really good relationship with them. That worked really well going there. Yeah. The gentleman that he he was with for several years was amazing. Yeah. They like they moved places. He stayed with them. Like yeah. it was one of those humans who just went the extra mile for your kid. Yeah. And it's like, you know, always a place in your heart type of thing. The thing that they were working on in social work was the unthinkable. So like Rock Brain was funny once, um, you know, like these different characters. These are these are still the things that are like the struggles for these him. are still the things because it's part of how he's wise sure absolutely. right and so when he finds something that's funny when he finds something that works he's going to try it out a bunch of times right so it was funny once he's the most hilarious kid when he's not trying to be and that's when he is clever. trying, very clever and when he when he when he is trying to be funny he's incredibly inappropriate right and so the older he got, that gap got bigger and we were seeing more aggressive behavior and we were seeing more eloping. I mean, he ran away and at school he'd run down the halls and he'd hide in a closet. I mean, he was doing a lot of very unsafe behaviors and his schooling, he was starting to just do repetitive things in in class even, like in kindergarten. He wrote in his journal every single day, I like cats, because he learned that like all they want is him to write a sentence. So he wrote, I like cats every single day for an entire year. And because he wrote a sentence, it it was like not it was like, wow, he's advanced. And then like, but he's still writing I like cats the last day of school. <laughs> the real advanced part is he was like, This is the bare minimum that I have to yes. do that you'll yes. accept. So I'm gonna, gonna do that because why do I need to do anything else? Yeah. Sensory stuff was always big. I mean, he was a sensory seeker, but also sensory avoider. Like the moment that he got a drop of water on his shirt, we had to take it off immediately. Which um, is challenging. It, really challenging. And he's still very similar to that. I mean, if he gets anything wet, he, he wants to strip down into nothing. He wouldn't wear socks. He still to this day is 18 years old and he just wears slip-on shoes, no socks. He struggles the, the with like brushing his hair. As an 18 year old, he can say, I can't deal with the seams. They drive me nuts. Yes. Whereas like a four year old. He couldn't say He couldn't. Things. He didn't understand what yeah. was bothering him. He chewed everything. Like He still does. He, he still does. But at the time, I mean, he chewed everything. And that's a lot of the sensory stuff. But also as a clear sign that they're, you know, right, could how be all telling well. It's, it's how, how he's regulating. Yeah. It was how he was regulating. He does verbal tics, right? Like where he'll he'll make a noise over and over again or he'll for for like a solid gosh how long did he do stomp stomp clap from, that was a that was, it was a like that was probably a good six months of that being his stem yep. of like i need to regulate myself and so i'm just gonna go stomp stomp clap stomp stomp clap and you know, or he would whistle or he would do these things. And we were actually told by a lot of the professionals that it was it was he was choosing to do this. He was manipulating us and he could control it. And he knew better because he could tell you how he should behave. He could tell you what he should do and then he wouldn't do it. And so we actually didn't get a diagnosis, like we said, until 
he was 11. And this story is really hard for me to tell sometimes, and I don't tell it very often. And I don't know how much of this story Jason knows. So I even have like in my notes, like Dana, because I don't know if he understands the reference here. No. So at the time of diagnosis, uh, we were at a really bad place. So he was he was having meltdowns on a regular basis in school. He was he was 11 years old, so he was in like sixth, seventh grade. And he was even getting like ambulances called to school because his meltdowns were like so severe. One time I walked into the school and he was in the staff's room and he had just taken a, a marker and written no all along, all along the walls. Now, I later found out it was because they were telling him that he knew how to act better and that he just needed to behave. And they were trying to like do some some holds on him. And it was he felt really unsafe. It's such a clear sign of the adults in his life not listening to him saying he's literally saying no and they they can't hear him. They just think he's being disrespectful. Yeah, he was really, really struggling. And we were at a school and he was in a behavior program. Um, And but anything he did, the principal took as like a, a direct assault on respect and that he's doing this on purpose. And one of the things that happened with this is we had had at home on a weekend, one of my good friends was coming. And again, this is another one of his signs that he had what we called, you know, this visitor syndrome. Again, I didn't know what any of this stuff was. So I used to say when I was pregnant with my daughter that he had perpetual visitor syndrome, meaning that over nine months, He just was anxiously awaiting when she was coming in this unknown. He had no clue how his life was going to change when she came. And so he just, as we got closer and closer to her coming, he got more and more dysregulated. Well, the same would happen if we had a visitor over the weekend or if we had a friend coming over after school. He would just like not know how to regulate himself in any way. He'd bring out all his toys and he'd jump on the furniture and he would say inappropriate things and he would melt down. I mean, it would just you would see every behavior that he had come out. And this particular weekend, he had had three three-hour meltdowns in a row and we finally had a breather and my friend was coming from out of town and I hadn't seen her in like three years or something and I was so excited and so he calmed down I was like all right we're gonna go to the store I'm not leaving you at the house like let's come let's go to the store well silly me took him into a grocery store with like the bright lights and the sound and the smells and he lost it and started kicking the back of my chair um, like we had, to, I went back to the car and we waited in the car and he started hitting the back of my chair. He started doing all these things and I tried to drive home, but he was kicking the back of my chair so much that I pulled over in the Starbucks parking lot. He gets out. He starts stomping on the top of the car. I couldn't help him. Jason had to come and help me. We got him in the car. We took him again. We were told by the psychologist when this happens, just take him to the hospital, took him to the hospital. And because this was like the fourth visit to the emergency room in a month, for these like huge explosions, this time was a little different. And they took us into a room and I think I was alone because you were with the kids. So I went into this room and they proceed to tell me that they're going to send him to a residential treatment. They're going to admit him. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. And they were like, well, here's the thing. You can refuse and we will take medical power of attorney And uh, then we get to choose where he goes and we can choose any residential treatment place or you can agree and you get to have a say in where he goes. But really, they didn't give me a choice. They tied my hands. They said he's been in here four times. He now is a threat to you. He's a threat to himself. He's a threat to your family. We cannot in good conscience send him back home. And so that was a really hard day. Imagine how hard it was for them to come no. into our room and say that. We had our hands tied. I mean, it was like, fine, I'll I'll sign the paper, but I get a say, right? And the only say that I got was, is there a place that understands sensory needs? Because at that point, I understood sensory. Like, that was one thing that I did get. I was like, at least can he go somewhere that's going to understand that he can't wear the socks they put on him? that they understand the lights are too loud for him. They understand that sound set him off. You know, I knew a lot about what set him off at this point. And it was just getting other, you know, he still was getting set off, though. And they said, does he have autism? 
And I said, he does not have a diagnosis of autism. And they said, well, it sounds like he's autistic. And I said, he has sensory processing struggles. And that is something that is really severe for him. And if he can go a place that understands that, that would be great. So they they call around all night. It's 4.30 in the morning and they find a place for him to go. And it's a residential place that's about an hour, hour and a half from where we lived. And they put him in the ambulance. They had to cart him there. And then I had to drive behind him to the residential place. So he's already in the residential. I'm by myself because you're with the kids. I even feel like there was like a police escort. It was. It was like a police escort and it was the ambulance and then it was me. Yeah. We were driving yeah. to the residential. So we get to the residential. They, I don't, I'm not allowed to talk to them, see them or anything. They are doing all the intake stuff. And when I get, they say, okay, we do all the paperwork downstairs and we go upstairs to, now you had gone to visit him a couple times there. Did you ever go visit him there? I don't, Were you always with? Because I, I was think, with the other kids. Because the other kids weren't really allowed to go. So I think that's why you never saw it. So when you went up the elevator, you, the elevator opened and there was a almost like a, a diamond shape waiting room. And on one side of the waiting room was like the reception area and a door that went down one hall. And then right in front of the like in sight of the the elevator, you came off the elevator, you saw the door to the left and the door in front of you, door to the right. And the door to the right went to a different hall. And in between the two was the reception uh, window. And when I got there, I went up to the reception window and I said, I'm here because my son is getting admitted. And, you know, at this point, I'm probably all red faced from crying all day and on the drive there. And she was like, okay, does your son have autism? And I said, he does not have a diagnosis, no. And she goes, well, the reason I'm asking is because these two halls are very different. This hall over here is for children who have a behavior problem and need discipline. And this hall over here is for children with autism and they need therapy. They separated the two based on if it was a assumed behavior problem or it was assumed need. My son made it down the hall with autism. He got his diagnosis there. We had some other great like realizations while he was there, including the medication that he was on. The medication made him feel like he was basically drunk. Like he like all yeah, his, he had no inhibition, no inhibitions. Yeah. So not only do I pinpoint this moment as the moment that he got his diagnosis, I also pinpoint it as a very pivotal moment in my son's life and in our life because had he been put on the other side, True. I don't know where he'd be today mm -hmm. because the majority of those kids were there for help, but they were going back to juvie. We've always been on the path of like, let's figure out how our kid ticks and let's help him how he can. We were struggling to do so for a long time. And I think because he went to the left or, you know, whatever the direction was in the story, we went further down the path of understanding who he was yes. instead of just like labeling him a punk or something. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, a, a, problem, a, a problem kid, a trouble kid. You know, I guarantee you that the majority of the kids and in the receptionist even told me that the majority of the kids on the other side end up in jail or are already in jail. And, you know, they're wards of the system. They are in foster care. They're like all these things. And my son ended up on the side of like, we think he might have autism. Now, it was not a great place for him. He was not. There was a lot that wasn't great. But what was great is that they were willing to look at they they treated so many different kids with varying degrees of autism that they were like, oh, we do see it like this is this is obvious. Like he's got this. He does this. He does this. He does this. And he struggles with his his way of speaking about his emotions and his medication is like making things really hard for him. And so we those things set us down a path that made such a difference. And having this understanding of himself, oh, I'm autistic. Because before this, it was like, why am I like this? Why do I do this? I don't want to be this way. And then it turned into, 
these meltdowns, these outbursts, this is just a sliver of who I am. And he really started to open up and blossom and bloom and start to realize this is who I am. This is how I tick. Instead of, I'm a bad kid. You should punish me, which is what he would say before all of this. And the meltdowns didn't magically go away after this, but they got drastically better faster and faster after his diagnosis. Yeah, I think the exposure to other kids who were very similar to him made him feel less alone. I think that the the ability for the people who helped us with the diagnosis, whatever the clinicians were, uh, psychologists, therapists, whatever, he had so many strengths and especially in the verbal arena, that he was able to, for lack of a better word, like make up for some of the deficits he had. And they were able to put the puzzle together of the deficits in such a way that it painted the picture. And then once we painted the picture, we're like, oh my gosh, this is like what we were thinking all along, but you put it in the right light and it all made sense. Now, it took a little bit of like finagling and us figuring out the, the system afterwards. And the, but and the older he gets, I mean, you you just like you can't you can't avoid you wouldn't even think twice about his autism diagnosis at this point. And he wouldn't think twice about it because he, he just again, that gap just kept getting bigger and bigger, especially socially and emotionally, again, not cognitively. Because he didn't have a cognitive delay, but socially and emotionally, that gap kept getting bigger and bigger with his peers and the way they navigate the world and the way that they do things and the way that they interact with other people. And this knowing of who he is and us also understanding why he does what he does and how he ticks was a game changer for him and for us. And people always say, well, like, what do you do if you're waiting for that diagnosis? And what do you do if you're waitlisted for an evaluation? And I'll say, when we got the diagnosis, I called the original neuropsych. And because they had released us from occupational therapy and social work, because they said that at this point there was nothing because I tried to get an autism diagnosis and because I was like something else is going on the, the gap's getting bigger and bigger and and they said well we did a we did a st- he's not autistic because of these things and um at this point it's a parenting problem there's nothing more we can do except for you can be a better parent and I was like wow okay and and so that was kind of the end of that road so I called that that neuropsych back And he's like the top in the Chicagoland area. And I said, just so you know, he just got released from this residential treatment place. And they were like, oh, that's a great place, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, do you know this doctor? And he said, yes. And I said, "Okay, do you trust this doctor's opinion? He said, yes. And I said, "Okay, well, he just diagnosed Elijah with with autism. Well, we'll agree to disagree. Like he was just so stuck. You know, there's so many people that we want to like think down the line and the journey him not being one of a one of them and in that same regard you know in our travels and our communities afterwards we weren't the only one to have that experience so that is to say not like hey man you're the worst but like parents trust your gut yes right trust your gut trust your instincts uh because they will serve you yeah i would say you know with the diagnosis we hear people we hear both sides like one i didn't get the diagnosis i'm devastated because i really thought this was an answer and it's like trust your gut like you're saying and and you can still learn about your child you can still understand their sensory preferences their triggers their likes their dislikes their struggles their superpowers what makes them tick how they interact with people what they prefer you can still get to the bottom of that with out the diagnosis without the expert there to to share you know shed light on it you can be the expert in your own child and then on the flip side people will get a diagnosis and then they're devastated like oh my gosh we got the diagnosis i wasn't expecting this and it's like you still have the same kid you had yesterday now you just have maybe some more answers maybe you'll find a new community that you can find more answers maybe now you can speak with autistic adults and ask them about some of the practices and ask them how they feel and learn from them. And, you know, it opens up a new world of 
neurodiversity and a lot of people, you know, when you're dealing with a challenging kid and you're dealing with behavior, you're not looking at neurodiversity, nor do you even know what that name is or what that word is. And so now when you have a diagnosis, you can say, oh, okay, now there's this many more podcasts that open up to me. There's this many more communities, this many more amazing, amazing resources out there that weren't open to me before because I didn't know they existed. And so whether you get a diagnosis or don't get a diagnosis, whether you find all the answers or you don't, you have to trust that intuition. You have to trust your kid. You have to love the kid you have in front of you and not compare them to the kid you wanted, the kid you thought you were going to have. And once you can do that, you and your child can live an amazing life. It just may not be the type of life you thought you were going to have or that they were going to have, right? Our son is 18. He's not going to college, right? He may never go to college, but he's definitely not going right now. He's not moving out of the house. I don't know. You ask him, he says he's living here till he's 35. You know, like he- It was 40 before. <laughs> okay, so it's drama. But working on it. But working no. a little- I could compare that to a quote unquote typical 18 year old and feel like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing ever. Or I could say his timeline is his timeline and this is what it is. And I can be here to support him and help him navigate life. Yes. And as we wrap up this conversation, kind of like the beginning of our story, I want to say this. Uh, Now, our oldest has given us permission to tell most of his stories. And I think his rationale is pretty plain. If my journey can help somebody else, why wouldn't I say yes to you telling that story so that they can have hope and, and get help? Yeah. I'll add, this is what I really want to say. You know, if you have been helped by, you know, his journey in any way, if you can just like send him a shout out, like oh. You know, just like a little heart moment of like, dude, thanks, little man. You know, I'm like an energetic woo-woo kind of person. I think he'll get I think even if you didn't send it like energetically through the world, if you don't, you're not that way and you want to just send a shout out to him, um, send us an email or comment on social or something like that. Oh, he would love that. He really would. Like, It was his birthday just the other day and I posted on my my Facebook wall, you know, uh, like a picture of us when, when he was little and And our students, who I'm friends with on Facebook, posted that they were thankful, you know, that he existed. Because, you know, we wouldn't do what we do now if it weren't for him. Are you okay over there? They can't see you wink. They can't see you cry. Is that how this works? I mean, I agree. I... He when he turned 18 and I was sharing his birthday, I mean, it was that it was like, I am so thankful that he is in our life. I am so thankful that he has led us down a very challenging path, but we have learned so many things and we've been able to help so many other families because he was willing to let us share the story. And when the book was being written you know, I, I was a little nervous because he's about to be 18 and he gets in his head certain things. And I was like, he's going to turn 18 and decide, well, I don't want my story told anymore. And I was like, hey, buddy, you're turning 18 soon. Like, are you still OK with your story being told? And he was like, yeah, like, why wouldn't I be? And I said, well, because it's your story and you might not want it out there. And and he said, but it's going to help someone else. And I said, yes, it's going to help a lot of people. And he said, all right, then I'm good, you know, and we do get to continue to share some of his story and we get to share our part of the story, too, because we went through a lot as well. But but we are thankful. And so if this has touched you in any way, if his journey has helped you, please send him a little a little thank you, a little shout out. Um, I think that'd be really lovely for him. Yeah. And, you know, as you were talking, it, it putting it into context Right. We have a child who's finished high school. He's graduated, you know, by skin of his teeth. And yeah, I'm over the finish line. We were blowing up. We were pushing him over. I mean, this is such a clear sign. I know. Hold your thought. It's such a clear, again, indicator of like we weren't wrong in this diagnosis. Like he got straight A's or straight F's, straight A's in the classes he loved. In his interest. Well, the and good then, news, it was straight A's and straight D's. It was. Well, it, st- <laughs> it was started as F's. And then he did, by the hair of his chinny chin chin, 
right? He did what he needed to do to graduate in those classes. And he ended up with D's and C's actually in those classes. But at one point, it was split down the middle. It was either all in or all out. And that's how he worked. And the traditionally (laughs) hardest classes, he had all the A's. And like the easiest classes, he he didn't care about them and didn't see the point. He didn't see the point in why he needed these different classes. And so he didn't have good grades in them. The fact that we have a child who has graduated from high school and is unmotivated to go off to college or to community college or to get a job yet, right? He knows it's coming. He's starting to understand kind of what's next. He's making a plan somewhere in his brain, I'm pretty sure. But if we just looked at that side of the story, it would be incomplete. Because the reality is this kid has affected more people and more families, including us, right? And all the, all of our students, right? All the people about to read this book in such a massive way that, you know, I am a traditionally successful person. I, I went to an amazing high school. I went to college. I did all the things. I had a great job, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't until this guy came into my life that I, I started to truly live a life that was aligned and like fulfilling, right? And I think he's doing that for so many people. So when I think of those, like that's got to be my anchor for why isn't this guy doing more, producing more, becoming more part of society? Like this is how he's affecting society. 100%. He's here to teach us. He's here. And and as with all of our kids who, whether they have an autism diagnosis or not, these kids beat to a different drum. And it's our job to, to learn from them and to listen to them and to help them create an environment where they can thrive. Yeah. Yeah. I thank you guys for listening to today's. It was really, um, it was really healing and cathartic for me to just talk about our journey and talk through that fear. Now I'm getting um, choked up and just having a space where we, that's something that I've always wanted is I started this blog 10 years ago because, or the blog 10 years ago, because I wanted a space where I could share my thoughts and feelings, the ups, the downs, the in-between, even if I didn't have a lesson. And that's where the, what this podcast is starting to turn out to be, is like a place where we can have conversations and you have conversations back with us and we develop a community and we get to know each other. And I just, I want to thank you if you've listened this long into this episode. Just thank you for holding space for us as we navigate, talking about something that for 10 years online I've never talked about. So thank you. Again, if you enjoyed anything that you heard here today, uh, shoot us a message and uh, leave a review and say, you know, give us five stars, leave a review, tell us what you're uh, liking, what's resonating and what you want to hear more of on the podcast. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about our uh, journey with sensory processing disorder. And that one is an interesting one. We talked a little bit about it today, but that one, that one has got lots of fun ins and outs. And um, and so we're going to be talking about that in the next episode. So please come back and join us. And if you're loving this, go check out calmthechaosbook.com where you can hear more about our story, our journey, and the roadmap to go from surviving to thriving as a family. Toodling. Oh, and before I go, one quick note for all of you who are enjoying the podcast. My new book is officially live and I know you're going to love it. So just a quick reminder, you can go get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com. And if you do, you'll get some cool bonuses as well. Once again, get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com and I'll see you next week.